Hello, and welcome to Pull the Open, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm your host, Andy Nordvall, and we have some returning panelists and some brand new panelists. Uh, let's do the new ones first. First, we got Michael Nixon. Say hello. Hello, hello. Dan Peck. Hi, everyone. Uh, and returning panelist, Ben Patton. Greetings. And Tyler Mumford. I regret nothing. And uh, Ben, Michael, and Dan are all from the Game of Rassilon podcast. Uh, definitely worth checking out. A live, well, not live, but a uh, role-playing, improv uh, Doctor Who campaign, I guess. Is that an accurate description, Ben? Yes, yeah, it's close enough. And it is it is live for us in the moment we're recording it. We get to experience the, the, the live show, but no one else does because uh, it's just not well, special. Luckily, yes. Yeah, we're going to start selling tickets, but they do yeah, the, start the at $1,000. $1,000 a pop, um, paid directly to any cast member is fine. Okay, the NBA is very restrictive. It's good to share. Yeah. Well, luckily, yes, <laughs> real life is still live, although I'm sure the, the Black Mirror episode is coming where that ceases to be. I guess that's already happened, actually, the entire history of you. But enough about Black Mirror, and on to Legopolis. Legopolis is first of a new pull-to-open feature of everybody's gateway drug into Doctor Who, and this was... Michael Nixon's first exposure to Doctor Who. Tell us, what what did you make of this beautifully strange episode, having no context to put it in? It's it's even weirder than that. My first con- my first exposure to Doctor Who is the very end of Legopolis, because it was actually the flashback that starts Castrovalva. So my very first bit of exposure was Tom Baker turning into this strange, gooey white figure, and then into like a gooey <laughs> Peter Davison and then into Peter Davison, and then into a slightly different Peter Davison, because his <laughs> hair turns blonde next season. Um, oh, wow. It's, it's very weird. Um, so, yeah, I, I went for the longest time. I was actually talking to the, the Game of Rassilon folks yesterday when we were recording the finale about um, how I always thought the Time Lords were, like, these white, gooey people with, like, funky <laughs> eyes and like tool and that they just sort of like assumed these human forms in between whatever. Oh, and wow. it was like, oh no, it's, it's actually, it's just this random thing. They shoved in this one serial that no yeah. one understands. I'm like, Oh cool. It's not important at all in any way. And they're like, no, no, it, no. it's just, it's like, it's a one and done. Don't worry about it's just it. This thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were half right. They may not have been gooey, but we later learned the time lords are very, very white. They, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Boy. Dude, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, it's funny. Which is a shame because those uh, Gallifrey robes are definitely pimping, but uh, not they quite are. on these guys. They are. I would, I would definitely rock that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I could definitely see like Superfly walking down in one of those uh, Pridorian house. I don't know what you call them. Those massive shoulder things. Yeah. I think that that is the canonical name. If you look up massive shoulder things on the TARDIS data core, you do get an entry for uh, for the for the shoulder pads. <laughs> it checks out. Oh, there's probably the top two Google hits are like uh, Time Lords and then uh, Joan Crawford. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 80s wardrobe. Yeah, yeah I, I I love The Watcher, and I but I can't explain The Watcher. Like, my question, what did you guys think of The Watcher? He's great, he's weird, and I have no idea what he's doing there, which I kind of like. But what do you guys think? I agree with two thirds of what you said. I don't think he's great. I think okay. he's he's present. He's in it. <laughs> he is and very present. Yeah. I love we never hear him speak. Everybody else tells you what he said after the fact. 
Yeah, and there's, there's that line at the end where Tegan, who is obviously the most informed of the Doctor's companions, says, <laughs> uh, oh, the Watcher was the Doctor all along. How? Oh, how, she, how did she how did you know? know? Wait, I thought that was Nyssa. Who was did it Nyssa or was it Tegan? I, think, I thought I it was Tegan. Because you can't see them speaking at the time. Yeah. It was obviously right. crappy ADR. Because yeah. like, oh, yeah. I realized, like, wait, this makes no sense. I think it was – hey, I've been wrong many times before, but I think it was Nyssa, which kind of makes sense because she actually traveled with the Watcher. Like the Watcher took her from Trocken yeah. to Legopolis. Which would have been yeah. a great scene to actually see. Yeah. I that would have been so useful. Yeah. Yeah, what does the Watcher's TARDIS look like? Yeah. Did uh, white just, and like, gooey. Did hug Nyssa? Like, gooey, I want to yeah. believe – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just turn the stardust and fly away. I just looked it up on the TARDIS wiki. It was Nissa who said it, not Tegan. So I was wrong, and I apologize. Hey, don't worry. Next time, I'm sure it'll be me. But yeah, that, <laughs> it was so obviously ADR'd in just because they realized, like, wait a minute, this makes no sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the director thought, oh, this is Time Lords. They're white gooey people, like Michael Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> so, right? Michael Nixon is a white gooey person, so yeah, that's, I get that. That's valid. There is I should <laughs> yeah. also point out there's a lot of very bad ADR in this serial that you actually don't notice as much because when they released oh. it on DVD and then later on Blu-ray, um the Doctor Who restoration team actually tweaked the audio so that it matched the mouth movement a lot better. Oh, nice. Um okay. but, there's a featurette that's on both the DVD version and on the season 18 Blu-ray that shows you the before and after comparison of this, the, the the sound changes that they made. And there's um, it's very clear that you've got like Matthew Waterhouse and Tom Baker just kind of saying the lines without really paying attention to how their mouths are moving on the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, I keep hearing rumors that Tom Baker had kind of checked out by his last season. And it's funny watching it because I notice, although I think this is a general Tom Baker thing, he rarely talks to the person he's talking to. He always stares off into the middle distance. I, it's so this weird I, thing like he's talking to himself and the companions are just there to eavesdrop. So I noticed that. So yeah. um, real quick. So this was the first classic Who serial that I ever watched. Uh, and it was this week. Um, I've only been new who, and I saw the 96 movie when it aired, um, when I was a teenager and I kind of didn't like get it. And, uh, the only thing I remember about it was that there was an atomic clock. Um, but yeah, so I, so I, you know, so watching Legopolis this week was like a brand new experience for me. And, um, one of the things I realized is that despite the fact it like much like the doctor themselves the show is the same like i was like genuinely surprised like how it's still like the current doctor who still feels like classic doctor who but i absolutely did notice some uh, tom bakerisms that um i don't know if other people did but yeah it always seemed like he was talking to himself um especially not to um adric by the way i was like totally on the wiki the whole time because i needed to know like who these people were um and, but then he also like and this is just probably this is like a stupid nitpicky thing, but I noticed that like almost every um, bit of dialogue he had with started with a yes or a right or a, you know some sort of like basically like whoever oh, really? was talking to him was asking a question that was moving the plot forward, and then the doctor was the one validating that question or theory or thing. But uh, yeah, it was weird. He was like sort of like monologuing. And I don't know if like the intention was like, oh, this is like he knows that his death is coming and he's uh, distancing himself from the rest. 
or not. I may be overthinking it like yeah. completely, but I absolutely did notice that. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, I, 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 you know, I've uh, dove into the fandom, you know, uh, aside from what I have and haven't seen. And I know that, you know, obviously Tom Baker, you know, still has a lot of affection for playing the character. But, yeah, you kind of wonder if at the moment he's like, I'm just tired. Is my contract over? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's There's a lot of um, on both the DVD and the Blu-ray there. Uh, there's a very candid interview with Tom Baker where he kind of opens up about um, how that last season for him, he really wasn't feeling it in, in part because of the, the changeover in production. John Nathan Turner had taken over and uh, uh, Tom Baker is very candid about the fact that he really didn't like uh, Nathan John Nathan Turner's uh, approach to Doctor Who and, and thought that he had basically had no taste and no style. And there are all these new people coming in trying to tell him to be this character that he'd been by that point playing for, you know, six years and change. And, yeah. uh, and he said he got kind of, you know, kind of flippant and almost uh, uh, petulant about it um, by that point. And, <laughs> and I think, I do think that um, because he had lost a lot of the, 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 the freedoms and control that he had, uh, uh, under previous regimes, I think he 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 had definitely by the time that they were filming Logopolis, he checked out. For him, it was uh, you know, I get I'm 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 done. I think is is mm-hmm. where he was. And those if you if you have the if you have access to the DVD, uh, it's there's another documentary on the Blu-ray with another interview with a much much older Tom Baker. Um, but the the documentary on the DVD is absolutely i mean it's essential it's com- it's compelling to hear um tom baker talk as openly about his last year as the doctor because yeah. he's never spoken about it like this before like it was um all of the reviews for the dvd when that new beginnings box set dropped which had keeper of truck and keeper of truck and logopolis mm-hmm. and castrovalva in one set all of the reviews were like wow this like tom baker's been really like honest but brutally honest about <laughs> about his tenure and they, so they drop in i'm spending a lot of time talking about the documentary and we should be talking about the episode but um they, they drop in like um uh just some of the raw footage between takes of him and he's kind of shouting at people oh, he man. has a prop that he throws against the floor and it breaks and he's he's very there's like an anger there but i think that anger is it's a combination of i've lost my version of the show and my time here is coming to an end that I, I genuinely think. And he kind of expresses that in this, in this, in this interview as well. I, I genuinely think that that's what it came down to. It was, yeah. he had been defined and it still is defined by Dr. Who for so long. Yeah. The idea of, yeah. you know, moving away from that was, was scary. Yeah, I mean, it's completely understandable. And yet I've always really liked this season of Dr. Who because they really, try a bunch of new things and it's you know it feels sort of fresh and exciting and they're like they're trying new things which i can see why that would you know make tom baker bristle uh but yeah john nathan turner he's in some way seems a, a lot like the stephen moffat of classic who he's a very controversial figure a lot of criticism some of it deserved but you know it was because he was trying bunches of new stuff not everything worked but i i always respected the fact that he he tried to do new stuff with doctor who i don't know what are your guys take on this season or john nathan turner in general i have no uh, comment <laughs> john nathan turner i don't know i i i did like some of the later stuff that he did with peter davison mm-hmm. um 
Colin Baker. And yes, I did like Colin Baker's run as the doctor Mm -hmm. Um, and and Sylvester McCoy. But I I do see where, you know, during his uh, season with Tom Baker, you could tell that it was just like he had a lot of like opposition from trying to change it during Baker's era. I mean, when mm-hmm. Peter Davidson came about, you could tell that, like, you know, this is a new um, new actor, new, you know, Tabula Rasa. He could he was like, you know, redefining what made Doctor Who Doctor Who. But you could tell that during that last season, yeah, um, Tom Baker was at that point he was set in his ways, and you yeah. know, rightfully so. I mean, you know, during um, uh, who was it? Uh, Heathcliff's um, like run as like as a showrunner. Um, Hincliffe, Philip uh, Hincliffe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, during that time, you could tell that, like, you know, the, uh, Tom Baker was in his prime. He loved being that t- uh, character. Oh yeah. Well, that was the gothic horror era, right? Mm. Yes, and yeah. you could tell, like, you know, horror, fang rock, um, and things, and uh, stories along that vein. Yeah. Tom Baker was in his element. I mean, the talents of Wen Shang. I think, you know, although it doesn't didn't age well, you know, Tom <laughs> Baker was, yeah. you know. You know, he was happy. He was enjoying it. You know, yeah. you could tell. I mean, you could almost see he was like he was giddy to be the doctor. The last yeah. season, you could tell he was he was more or less like, uh, I, OK, I guess I'll I guess I'm doing it again. And yeah. and that was the mood of like uh, that he carried through even keeping a tracking. Um, yeah, you can see he was just kind of like, you know, dialing it in. Yeah, I mean, there's a weariness to it, but it, that, in in a weird way, it kind of what's the word? Well, in this one, it kind of works because he it definitely fits. seems yeah, like a doctor fits. at the end of his regeneration, you know, or at the end of this regeneration. Yeah, I have a bizarre conspiracy theory about what the Watcher was. Oh, tell me, tell me. Okay, my and I didn't actually formulate this until I saw the um, uh, Pyramid at the End of the World, which is a New Who story. But mm-hmm. if you remember that one, Capaldi ended up uh, his simulated Capaldi ended up calling himself yes um and I actually had that theory that the watcher was actually like part of that dystopian universe that fell apart because like block mathematics had like actually failed and Ooh, oh yeah. um, like you know doomed and this was actually the doctor from that doomed universe coming back to help the um the fourth doctor get through this like you know troublesome part because ah. in another reality he failed and that that's that's my crazy conspiracy that's an interesting take yeah that yeah. completely yeah, works i dig that yeah i don't think anyone has ever pitched anything like that there are so many different theories about what the watcher is even going so far as to suggest that because one of the other key figures in doctor who law that no one really knows who or what they are uh, is yeah. the Valiard who who put the oh, yeah. Doctor on trial in Trial of a Time Lord? Yeah, that's my and... favorite version of the theory. Is the Watcher is a good Valiard, which still explains nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't. He's yeah. the good version of that thing we can't explain anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Two sides. Think from same... ten years oh, down the line. Wait a minute. Explains that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, the Valiard could just be the crankiest part of Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and I totally buy it. <laughs> It might, actually, it might actually, it might actually be Christopher Eccleston at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the Valiard is just present day Eccleston. It was Eccleston all the uh, just all along. Yes. Yeah. Although it does explain, like there, there was that one season break where Peter Capaldi suddenly got a lot 
nicer. And maybe he just, you know, excised the bad part and made it the Valyard. Although, I don't know, I kind of like the Christopher Eccleston thing. It's he and Christopher Eccleston teamed up to make the Valyard. He went to that same planet Rick and Morty went to to get the toxins removed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's the Well, I uh, and I guess if you're the good part, you're you're gooey instead of slimy. It's white yeah, goo or green, depending on which way the switch is pulled. Variations yeah. of the theme. What what stood out to me again, coming in really fresh to this, was that um, the Watcher reminded me of uh, Sigma Ood uh, at the end of the Tenth Doctors, yes. and just sort yeah. of like. You know, sort of like the harbinger of not so much the harbinger of death, but like um, like this figure that is um, omnipresent. And it's like your time is coming, um, you know, kind of like prepare yourself. You know, I'm here to guide you. But it it, it, it very much had that feel to me. Um, yeah. So it didn't come out of left field as much for me, you know, again, not being, um, you know, as well versed in the in the classic era. Um, so that was like a weird, like almost like comforting kind of mm-hmm. thing for me because like i kind of got what that was and i'm sure at the time when this episode aired people were like what is this beast but um you know i have the you know the added advantage of you know almost 40 years <laughs> you know uh later and looking back on it but um yeah so i just kind of like you know was along for the ride that it's like it's some sort of creature who's like you know signaling the end and then at the end when it was the doctor i'm like okay i'm sure that made sense in the writer's room or it didn't but you know cool (laughs) you know all right well there is a a beautiful timey wiminess to the whole watcher thing like how this is kind of trying the future trying to orchestrate the past like there's that weird thing where like he's not gonna go to legopolis Mm because he thinks it would be dangerous to lead the master to legopolis which turns out to be a really good instinct. And then he talks to the Watcher and he goes to Legopolis anyway. Well, it's Trenzalore. Yeah, I guess that's Yeah, true. it's it's Trenzalore in 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. There's also the weird thing, like, I don't know if this was on purpose as part of the whole weird timey-wimey, but, like, it's weird how the Legopolitans gather at the place where the TARDIS appears before it appears, like, they know it's going to happen too. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean that makes that makes some that sense. Cool. Yeah, that that definitely makes some sense to me because they're if if they're using math to hold the universe together, that would imply a, a, a model of the universe that they can they can predict because you have to know what's going to happen in order to hold it together, right? So they yeah. they they must have cracked a mathematical formula. Really, what they've done, you know that you know that episode, uh, school reunion, the 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 villain. Oh yeah, they cracked that, the weird yeah. the shape thing. Yeah, and there's that. We kind of forget about the aliens in uh, in in school <laughs> reunion. The Quillotanes. Oh, yes, I love we, that one. Although I know I'm in the minority. We forget about them because it's Sarah Jane Smith and the Doctor, and it's such a yeah. great that that that's so much fun that we forget entirely that Anthony Stewart fucking head was in it. Um, but blasting wow. Matrix code into children's heads. Yes. Yeah, with with chips. And I know all I want now is just uh, I just want to eat greasy fat food right now, just because that episode just yeah. makes me think of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it makes you smarter with a computer screen and do math. Yeah. Well, the well, nachos flies yeah. are back at Taco Bell. <laughs> Well, yeah, classic. Who they had? They had abacuses, right? Yeah. Who you you finally get the what was it? The the spinning shapes with symbols on a computer. Yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) So that I mean that has to be a variation on the equation that uh, that was trying to be cracked by the Quillotanes in School Reunion. The 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 you know the people of Logopolis must have cracked a version of that code in order to basically hold back entropy. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, what yeah. what what else? What other kind of magical math mm-hmm. could you possibly conceive of that would that would hold together everything? Yeah. Well, it's also very new who in that it also explains the I forget what it stands for, the CVEs that lead to e-space. It turns out to have been the Lagopolitans all along. Oh yeah, which, yeah, which is cool. Most classic Who, it's it's one and done or one serial and done. Uh, that was another cool thing about John Nathan Turner. He started connecting it a little bit more, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very new Who yeah. to, to my to my mind. Well, yeah. you say that, but it's like two seasons after Key to Time, yeah. So not that uh, crazy. It's also what? it's also seven sixteen to seventeen seasons after all of the Hartle stories bled yes. into each other. We're a giant soap opera. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. It was that yeah. It, at the time, I'm sure it seemed very classic. Who the fact that they were still dealing with Romana having left for the first episode of this one. In a weird way, though, I think Key of Time almost proves my point because they tried to make a season long one, but other than the key of time, they were just a bunch of individual serials, you know, the, yeah. I mean, I like the key of time, but it does, you know, other than the fact that the, the end, they get a, they get a segment of the key of time. There's not much connecting those, those episodes. And, uh, thanks for ruining it for me. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> they were, they were solid doctor who's, but you know, it was definitely, uh, uh, it, it, it showed how much the, the serialization of it or the, the non-serialization of it was baked into it at the time. I don't know, to my mind. But Don't yeah, feel I, too I, bad, Dan. The the real key to time is the friends we make along the way. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing Stones of Blood pretty early in, and I was like, what the hell is this key of time thing? And I, I wanted to know more about Stones of Blood, which is definitely one of the better ones. So, uh, uh, yeah, I remember having my kid mind blown by that because uh, key to time happened just after the segment of Doctor Who that my local – small town PBS station would just show over and over. I think it was at a friend's house. So yeah, the key of time was definitely blew my mind as a kid. Well, you're lucky because I didn't get to see him in sequence. I actually saw, uh-huh. yeah, I saw power of crawl and then the final episode. And I was like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause other than the final episode, you could watch them in any order. I think you, you could actually, but I, I think, you know, the thing is, the very first episode where they, like, set it up, if you miss that first 15 minutes, there there was no connectivity to the story. So it was just like, I guess every week he finds one of these key things. Yeah. And so he puts like, it in a 1950s refrigerator, if I, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep your key at time segments cool. Got to keep them cool. Oh, so that's why Indiana Jones won inside it. Got it. He was after yes. the keys. Okay. Indiana right. Jones and the key to time. Yes. <laughs> I can see him looking for those. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, also speaking new who, I think this is the only classic who where we get the cloister bell. Although correct me if I'm wrong. Which pops up in New Who all the time. Oh, yeah. I was I was going to ask if this was its first appearance because when uh, the doctor was explaining it, I was like, oh, wait. Th- he, it, it almost seems like he's explaining it to the audience for the first time. Yeah. I, 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 I'm right here. This is the first Cloister Bell, isn't yeah. it? No. I think, didn't, they, didn't it um, show up in um, The Invasion of Time? No. This is, the, yeah. this, is, uh, this is, I'm fairly certain, the first use of the Cloister Bell in televised Doctor Who, and it was it was for like wild calamities and and and, and alerts. And now uh, the cloister bell rings anytime the Doctor has like a light cold or uh, yes. you know the, the soda stream <laughs> needs a refill of the gas. You know anytime yeah. they need 
you know. I think they've installed a snooze on the Gloucester Bell at this point, just, you know. (laughs) It'll hold for 10 minutes. And this is the only Gloucester Bell we get in Classico, I think. It's the first and only. Anybody? No, no, I think they've, uh, in Peter Davison's era, it might have rung a few times. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, know, it dings uh, once or twice in Castrovalva. Yeah, Castrovalva goes off again, and then oh, I think that's okay. it for classic Doctor Who. Looking at the list, um, it does ring in uh, in the TV movie, TV but movie. I think it's a different yes. sense. Yeah, <laughs> the it's TV a movie. way different room too. They didn't have yeah. licensing for that sound effect, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, he definitely didn't have licensing for like Daleks that sounded like Daleks, so. Yeah, I'm sure they couldn't get to the cloister bell either. Yeah, oh, I enjoy good. those weird little Daleks in that movie, though. <gasps> I, I weird think I talked about voices. this before, but uh, it was so obvious that clearly there was just some exec in Hollywood, or heck, maybe in Steven Spielberg, who was like, oh, Daleks, they, we, we should get some Daleks in there. And they were like, well, he, they're not really part of the story. Yeah, who cares? We need our Daleks. So they it definitely wasn't Spielberg, up. I'll tell you that right now. He had yeah, no idea they were making that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my favorite part of the nth, I was reading the nth doctor again recently and it's like oh. Spielberg heard about this thing and he was like wait we're doing what no I'm no 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 get that out of here yeah oh uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. the poor TV I mean it gave us bomb again so I'll always be grateful but yeah that movie was you could just sort of see people it was how should I put it it was the end result of what different people were fighting for not one person telling a story you know yeah it was a fox backdoor pilot that's really yeah well, that's the craziest thing. I mean, to go off on this tangent, it's supposedly a backdoor pilot that would be utterly alienating to anyone who had never seen the show before. Hi, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, were you like, did, did you want to know more having watched that? I mean, I, I just remember being just confused. Like, I, yeah. I don't like I had heard the the of Doctor Who, but like it just never aired by me. And like, you know, this was, you know, pre you know, availability on DVD or oh, yeah. DVD didn't exist, but like, you know, even tracking on VHS tapes and stuff like that. So, but um, I do remember it aired the week after they did the TV movie of the X-Men spinoff generation X, which I had watched, but they were <laughs> advertising the whole time that next week is going to be a doctor who movie. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll just watch this. And that's the only reason that I watched it was because I heard of it a week before it aired. The Generation X did not kill your uh, interest in like sci-fi spin-off movies. No, it was 1996. I I was devouring anything and everything X-Men at oh, that yeah. time. <laughs> oh, okay. To your shame. The Dark Ages of Nerddom. I I remember too the 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 TV movie what that that was when Usenets or was that what it's called Usenets? Oh yeah. gosh, yes. Usenets. Fans on oh, Usenets yeah. were adamant that they had to have Sylvester McCoy in there and I I got thoroughly flamed for suggesting like, "Yeah, why don't we be a little more embracing of new audiences and not spend half the movie on this guy we're never going to see again. And then, of course, they spent half the movie on this guy we're never going to see again. Whereas uh, Russell T. Davies' approach was, here's here's Eccleston, just here he is. Yeah. Here he is. He's got ears. Enjoy. And it worked. (laughs) Yeah. I I wonder how, yeah, the TV movie was, I wonder how useful that was to Russell T. Davies just to show, I mean, there was good stuff, but definitely to show these are some pitfalls you do not want to fall in. You know, and hey, we eventually got our uh, Palm again regeneration episode, so it all worked out. Yeah, it only took us yeah. what uh, seventeen years. It was worth yeah. the wait, Ben. It was worth oh. the wait. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> it was worth with the you. wait. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although 
him walk down a corridor, and I got it, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Although, man, it made you want so much more. I mean, there, there's definitely the audio adventures, but uh, I would love it if they just bring do a, oh my god, do a multi doctor adventure with Paul McGann in it. That would be amazing, you know. You, you know what they could do? Maybe this this is a kind of kind of out of left field, but maybe maybe you can't. Maybe that's that's such a niche thing that you can't put out on television. What if they? And again, this is just off the top of my head. Maybe this won't work. But what if they were to do it as like a series of? I don't know, maybe get some audio plays, like do, do them as, you could maybe do them as like a monthly range where you get a bunch of people who played the Doctor, let Paul McGann do an occasional one, and then once you've kind of established it, yeah, this is this is our take on Paul McGann's Doctor. Do some box sets, like do a series of box sets, have like some, maybe even like ongoing stories, introduce some original villains, maybe have them go up against the, the Daleks. Maybe. You, you could even give Colin Baker some decent stories. You could probably you give could. Colin Baker some good, you know what, write, finally write a regeneration story for Colin Baker. Uh, you would only be able to do that in audio because obviously he's 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 physically aged out of the role. But um, I, and I, again, I realize this is this is completely out of nowhere, and I, I realize there are many many logistical it's, reasons. It's why. pie in the sky; it could never happen. Yeah. Well, you can actually do an animated version. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to have the the. Well, did you ever see the John Pertwee anime? That's yes, yes, I did. Which is you can't. It's not. It's not up anywhere legitimately anymore because the right. guy who animated that John Pertwee anime later went on to join the animation team to uh, reconstruct the missing episodes of the Reign of Terror. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. The, well, if you can get it, hopefully legitimately or not, it's what's perfect because it was such a great choice because you don't realize it until you see it. But Third Doctor is the most anime Doctor. He's got the clothes and everything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, and plus the perfect yeah, anime villain in the master. Anyways, back to Legopolis. Let's talk, if we can, about Peter. Is it Peter Grimwade? Uh, he's directed some really good Doctor Who's. I think he directed Earthshock, and he directed this <laughs> one, which I do like. I gotta say, I found a ton of his choices incredibly weird. There's uh, the some first baffling off, stuff. Yes. Can I? Can I also just just say you you keep saying andy you keep saying i do like this in the same way that like one of the potential partners on the bachelor and the bachelorette once oh, they've yeah. made it more than halfway through the show and they're having a conversation with the bachelor and they go i do love you like they're trying to convince what? themselves like you're yes. trying to convince yourself that you enjoyed legopolis that's what it sounds like to me <laughs> I do love Legopolis, really. It would get my rose. It, it's weird, just sort of as a general <laughs> podcasting thing. I love the show, but it's really hard to sort of like, hey, let's comment on all the good stuff. You know, like yeah. Tom Baker, great. I actually really like Adric's chemistry with Tom Baker because he's very much like, you're my new father figure. And you totally get why he hates Peter Davison because it's like, it's like the new stepdad that you can't stand, you know? Uh, it's just weird because it's like it's hard to sort of just talk about the stuff you love. You always want to pick at it, but it makes it sound like you, you know, you don't like the show. Uh, one thing I, yeah, but I do love it. But I got to talk about Peter Grimwade's some of the weird directing choices. I think my favorite is the trash can next to the TARDIS, that sign that says, please take your refuse with you, which gets like a couple close ups. Why? It yeah. Uh, we're getting rid of the garbage of the past. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Because you got 25 minutes to fill, and, you know, sometimes you just, you know, want to put in a political message of, you know, saving their planet. You have, I to, guess it makes sense. You have to set up Chekhov's bicycle. Oh, yes. Very true. And that's what it's, it's there for. 
the other thing is, if you want the people to take the trash home with them, don't put a trash can there, you know? That, that, yeah, that, that does make sense. <laughs> yeah. That is admittedly a very fine hair to split. But, uh, yeah, one cool thing about it, we finally got to see what the inside of an actual police box looks like. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, not nearly as exciting as a TARDIS, I'm, well. I'm unsurprised to say. Yeah, it, it is funny how the, the bad guys, other than the Master and Entropy, one of the main bad guys... <laughs> Entropy! This, yes, that classic Entropy. Doctor Who villain! Entropy! Uh, Curse you, Entropy! Uh, but, crumbling is a frequent enemy of Doctor Who, to be fair. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. very true. Yes. Well, you know, you, you really see how flimsy styrofoam is in this serial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does crumble well, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of policemen and security guards. I love how the bad guys in episode four are security guards. But I, 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 I've been talking a bunch. What do you? What? What struck out? What uh, stuck out to you guys in Logopolis watching it again? Um, to me, it's always been like the grandstanding of Anthony Ailey. Yes, I mean, Ailey. I mean, yes. His grandstanding yeah. is fantastic. I mean, he's the perfect twirl the mustache villain. Yeah, and he, it, not, it was no not more so than when he was just like you know mucking about on Legopolis, and um like you know skulking about. I mean, he just he steals a scene. Yeah. To me, he's, he is. He is like the uh, that was one of my favorite masters. Yeah. Um, aside from Roger Delgado. Yeah. Well, he, he he captures the essential truth of the master. I mean, his name is the master. You don't underplay him. You you overplay him, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I know yeah. I'm probably going to be in the minority of this, but I really did not like him. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, like, to disparage well, anyone's take on it. It's, it was just – he just stood out like someone who wandered in from, like, a renaissance fair from, like, down the street. And I don't know, like <laughs> – I, I know he's like a beloved villain to the fandom and I don't want to like take that away from anyone, but I don't know. Like he was just so mustache twirly where like everyone else was playing it straight and it just uh-huh. took me out of it. And like the notion that he turns people into dolls, I was like, I, I get, Oh yeah. I, it was just, I don't know. Like it just, it, it wasn't that I was comparing him to other masters. It was just like, he was so goofy. Like he was almost like snidely whiplash to me a little bit. Um, yeah. and didn't seem like a real threat. Um, but you know, I mean, look again, it is hard to take of, it seriously with the time. Yeah. All that stuff, but you know, product of the time and you know, all those kinds of things and you know, not knowing the background, but I don't know. He was just like every, everything else seemed like a much more credible threat than the master. I, <laughs> well, the thing about the Anthony Ainley master is that he, he has to follow, not immediately because there was like, you know, 10 years and change between him and, 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 and his predecessor, but he has to follow Roger Delgado, who, even though the character was written kind of this, in almost the same way in this kind of, kind of menacing, I'm going to be evil and take over the world because that's what I'm doing, I suppose, kind of way. Uh, uh, Roger Delgado's master had this genuine sense of, of of menace and malice to him that wasn't quite as hammy. And don't get me wrong, there's definitely something there's something to enjoy in Anthony Ainley's very very hammy take on the master. But mm-hmm. of all the actors who have ever played the role, I think Ainley, though I do still enjoy it, um, he's he's probably my least favorite 
uh, actor to, to play the to play the role because again because I think he leans too much into that that kind of snidely whiplash that you know mustache twirling you know the fact that we've never seen Anthony Ainley's master tie a companion to a railway line is nothing short of a minor <laughs> bloody miracle or uh, um, a uh, a very uh, cylindrical bomb yes, with a very yes. long fuse oh the yeah. Bolshevik right. bomb yeah <laughs> I look forward to that episode yeah. I don't know. I I I thought that yeah, it was a little bit hammy. Well, definitely hammy and definitely campy. But to me, there was just something like cl- that classic villain villainous um, role that just made it just just quirky enough to be enjoyable. Just just um like evil enough to be like almost comical to watch. But at the same time, you knew that if you left him to his own devices, the world would blow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, but almost accidentally, I feel, I feel like he stumbles into into being a villain rather than like <laughs> on any active malice on yeah. his part. And I, I do As feel opposed like, to what Roger Delgado and the demons. I mean, yeah, it's fair, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also feel like I mean, Anthony Ainley for me doesn't become interesting as the master until. I, th- I feel like the only story that he's in where he m- works and makes sense, like that take on the master, is actually survival. It's it's the it's the last Sylvester McCoy serial. And I, again, I acknowledge I'm probably in the minority on that one, but we literally, I mean, we're t- we're talking about, uh, you know, the only incarnation of the master to wear yellow face on purpose. Like this is who uh, yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The- Okay, so yeah, he did become a cheetah man. I do remember that. Cheetah man. But although the yellow face, that's time flight, right? Or am I wrong? That I think Wait. that one is that that one is time flight, right? Where he's yeah. he's just playing this kind of Asian oh, wizard. Fu Manchu kind of guy, yeah. yeah. The Asian Fu Manchu type, yeah. You he's think they would have learned after Towns of Wen Chiang, but nope. He, he's yeah. in disguise because I guess that's what the master does. That really seems yeah. to be the only reason he's dressed up in in that and a couple of other episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, he doesn't need much of an excuse to get into a disguise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, some of like my favorite grandstanding from uh, Ainley was one oh, in the Five Doctors. Remember the scene where he's like, "I've always wanted to kill you, but five times over." And he's just sitting there with that like gleeful smile on his face, like, "Yes, I finally have you all here. I'm going to yeah. shoot five times." He just seems like so excited to be able to do that. It's just, I don't know. It's the perfect bad yeah. stereotypical villain. <laughs> there is this great essence to the master, where like he slash she thinks. He wants to take over the world, but really it's just for the doctor's attention. You know, he will yeah. do it. He just wants the doctor to pay attention to him. Right. <laughs> and Which, unfortunately for Tom Baker, Tom Baker's too busy staring off, you know, monologuing to himself. Yeah. Thinking right. about what's at the craft service table. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they've got those tiny bite-sized Oreos. Yes. <laughs> they are vegan. They are vegan. vegan. Let me ask. I'm trying to remember uh, Third Doctor, Roger Delgado Master. When he did the shrinking, they would like chroma key an actual person like into like a still frame so you could tell it was a person. Right. Am I remembering that correctly? They still definitely used like G.I. Joe's for for, uh, action man action figures. Uh, yeah. For for shrunken people back in the in the Delgado era of the Master. Same with Doctor. Ah, they, they started doing that more lately, but I remember like in um, I think it was Terror of the Autons, 
where they actually did throw put an actual person in the um, scene. Yeah. Okay. That must be what I'm remembering. Cause that, yeah. that works so much better. Like, you know, yeah, cause you could actually see it was like a little person. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was that, uh, like a, like a, a, like a box and they took the lid off the box and then there's actually a person laying in there because yeah. they've been, uh, right. uh, was it CSO'd into the, 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 the yeah. color separation overlay is what mm-hmm. they were using, like primitive green screen. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, even though you can tell it works so much better because you can tell it's a person and you can tell when a G.I. Joe is a G.I. Joe. I I remember there's a lot of weird cliffhangers, but I think the weirdest has to be end of episode one where we're supposed to be horrified that there are two Barbie dolls in the car seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought they were left behind like a calling card, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't until it wasn't until the second episode where they described a little better that like, oh, yeah, he, he did this. I was like. I didn't know Time Lords had that power. Okay, all right. Uh, also, I guess Tegan just doesn't really mourn her aunt. Yes, true. <laughs> In her defense, Santa Vanessa kind of sucks. She drove her to the airport. Yeah, I like Auntie Vanessa. Well, well, I love Auntie Vanessa because they clearly just went back to wardrobe and got one of Katie Manning's coats, you know, which <laughs> I appreciate. Actually, uh, uh, if you listen to the commentary on, uh, although they did, there's a thing on the Blu-ray that that costume belonged to her. To what? She brought <laughs> that. With, yeah, she, she. Every item of clothing that that she wears in the episode, she brought with her. That's uh, an excellent. Because payoff. they didn't have the money to to wardrobe all of the all of <laughs> the cards. Yeah. I, I remember just another weird. Well, back to some of the weird directing choices. When we first meet Auntie Vanessa, she actually has the line "Don't get upset, Tegan," in a scene where Janet Fielding is not playing Tegan as upset at all, and it was very weird. <laughs> I don't know. Did anyone else catch that? No, I didn't. Okay. I've seen it twice because we almost did this podcast once before. So I'm at the point where you start noticing weird stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. What was your opinions on Auntie Vanessa? Should Tegan have been upset for more than like, what was it? 45 seconds, I think. I, I think you're actually being a little bit more generous. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it was like, you oh, balance oh, it out. Yeah. Well, Nessa did get more upset. Admittedly, it was her whole planet. But yeah, she she definitely seemed to get a little more upset than uh, Tegan. If you take it as like a proportional response, you know, Nessa yeah. for 25 percent of the universe versus yes. Tegan and like one lady. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I still I still wonder about Nessa's reaction to seeing like, you know, you know, the master, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, she still thinks it's tree mass, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, there should be a little bit more of a shock to see, like, you know, his animated corpse walking around with, as a master. Well, she didn't know he was dead because... That's true. She did not see him. Dragon, it was played by Anthony Ainley, and then weird Melty Master takes over the body. So it's still... You're right, though. It kind of looked like the dad, but, but you know, it was... he. I think he had flowing white hair when he was Tree Mass. Right, so, yeah, it is a little weird that she doesn't – I think she comments on the makeover, but that's – Yeah, I think she says you look younger. Younger but colder, mm-hmm. I believe, which – but, yeah, I'll put on your bracelet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the bracelet – some of the bracelet stuff was weird. It's like I have control of your arm. Well, then why is she walking? <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah just why do her eyes look just, like she's way into yeah, murder? That's just yeah. stupid nitpicking on my part. Yeah. You know, and and, and – and Doctor Who fans are not known for stupid nitpicking. I really, I really shouldn't yeah. do that. Well, there, it, it there seems to be a lot of moments where like 
the script and the direction seem kind of at loggerheads, you know, like that's one where it's just supposed to be the arm. Although I'm not sure how the hell that would work. Cause yeah, just don't walk over to the person. Uh, I mean, your arm ask, wants Bruce to strangle. ask Bruce yeah. Campbell how it works. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's he did true. a pretty good job of that. Yeah. Uh, another moment. Did anybody notice like, it seemed like it should have been a way bigger moment when Anthony Anley says like, if you team up with me, you can never go back to Gallifrey. And they just sort of schluff it off, which is a shame because that's I mean, even though, you know, even though the doctor left Gallifrey, the idea that he would never be able to return seems kind of hefty. I wish they they made a little more of that. You know, I know. Do you guys even remember that part? I mean, that's kind of the classic series approach to lore, though, is like, you know, the Time Lords are way off screen and we don't really worry about them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just sort of like functional stuff about Gallifrey, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to think what else to talk about. Well, um, well, I definitely want to give a shout out to the monitor. I thought I, I really liked him. He was a really good guest guest character. Uh, oh, yeah. Pl- yeah. Plus, I wasn't doing story. like so much of the clipped speech, like Asian bad guy voice. Oh, OK. Uh, that really bugged me a little bit. Um, I saw uh, it more as British aristocrat because it's sort of funny how Legopolis is like all old white dudes, you know, like, oh, yeah. like, how do they even reproduce? I guess, I guess they rub they their just... weird back of their heads together. Yes. <laughs> like weird gooey palettes. You know? I think they just use their, their math powers to just create another old white dude. I think it's just, you know, there it's are like, no young Longapolitans. You just go they're straight. Like the, the they're like the Mocklins on the Orville. They're just single sex and they reproduce. It just happens. Yeah. Or they, they're like Xerox copies. Oh yeah. Yeah. They take cuttings. Yeah. yeah. This was also the first Tegan, who I remember was supposed to be like a new type of companion in that, you know, she didn't want to be here. She kind of she was very testy. She didn't go along with the doctor's stuff. What did you think of uh, Tegan's introduction? Oh, I loved it. I thought that was a setup for pretty much that. That was a setup for like a lot of um, companions to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, just. Uh, well, I mean, the campaign has always been, well, us, you know, we're and and I think it was like John Nathan Turner said, well, I want a companion that looks more like a real person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. She's sort of an early Donna. If you, now that I think of it, I was thinking Donna, thinking Rose. Uh, yeah. Um, and she's like an 80s version of Ian and Barbara. Kind of. Uh, yeah. You know, she's, yeah. She's yeah. in that same mold of. She just walks into the TARDIS. It's not her intention to go there. I mean, I wish there was like a little bit less of her wandering around corridors. Yes. Um, and weirdly, she there's a couple too, yeah. of shots where it looks like she was like CSO'd into the console room in one oh, or two. I notice that. Okay. I was like, this is a weird shot. Um, so, yeah, there's just like a bunch of – I think there's a lot of extraneous stuff with yeah. Tegan. But I find the intro like – she's an interesting character. She's a, yeah. she's a – and I personally like I really like a a big TARDIS team. Like I like three companions and a doctor. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. mix I always kinda dug. Yeah. Like this mix and then later when Adric kinda switches out for Turlo, minor spoilers, yeah. Dan. Um <laughs> like I, I love the TARDIS of four. So this oh, is cool. kind of a cool area yeah. for me. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things John Nathan Turner brought to the show was more awareness of the show's history. Like he's going back to more connection between the stories which you definitely had in the classic era and yeah tegan is a throwback like like they were they both have ian barbara and her both have the the runner of the doctor is trying and doing a horrible job of just getting them back to where they want to go 
you know? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other things that's interesting is Tegan is, I think, one of the first companions who has a backstory, like a full, mm. like, like it kind of, she, she has a kind of a modern who sensibility because she has family, like, and not just with like uh, Auntie Vanessa, but uh, in, uh, uh, is it Time Flight? We meet her cousin, or is it? It's Arkham oh, Infinity. Ark of Infinity. Ark of yeah. Infinity. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, the cousin. Yeah, mm-hmm. like she's she has a fleshed out, uh, not as fleshed out as like say Rose or Amy Pond or whoever, but uh-huh. she's one of the first companions who has her and also Nissa actually because Nissa was was a was a character from the previous serial. Yeah. Um, they have a life the, outside yeah. of the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're not just life like didn't start there. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Life, their world didn't start with the TARDIS. They had a world before they encountered the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, I think we've done we've definitely covered Legopolis and some wonderful tangents. But any any closing thoughts as we wrap this up? Uh, I just wanted to get on the record an official defense of Anthony Ainley. Uh, an actor <laughs> who you. loved playing the master so much. He was at one point in the eighties was independently wealthy and took no other acting jobs. Oh, wow. uh, he only <laughs> wanted to be the master and he loved being the master. Wait a um, Back up. He was independently wealthy, not yeah. from playing the master though. No, yeah. uh, no, no one knows. I, I, I could never find any details of like how he amassed his independent fortune. Oh, uh, that means it's something shady. Interview, who was like, no, <laughs> oh, it was my- the eighties. He probably just like invested in real estate, whatever. Or yeah. he like blew up a mountain and stole the crystals from the spider queen. I don't know. <laughs> um, but by the mid eighties, like Anthony Ailey was so rich. Was like, a super villain. Yeah. He just like, didn't take other gigs. He was, he was like, he had a line to John Nathan Turner. was like, do you need me this year? I'm ready to giggle. Uh, like, no, not to scare me. Um, oh, wow. so I, I, I love, I love Anthony Ainley as the master as much as Anthony Ainley loves playing the master. Yes. Um, I, I just enjoy the keenness of him and sort of in defense of Anthony Ainley in the fourth doctor stories that he's in. Um, I think that's a symptom of this idea that um, Elle Sandifer talks about in her uh, uh, Tardis Rudatorum uh, books that like season 18 was sort of a mousetrap constructed around Tom Baker to kick Tom Baker out. Like if you look at, you know, the show completely changes. Um, the, the aesthetic of the show changes. The, you know, the, the makeup of the TARDIS crew is totally different. Like everything about Doctor Who becomes incongruous to Tom Baker as like a reaction to get him out. Um, and part of that is, you know, I think the masters work best as analogs to the doctors they're mm-hmm. opposing. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Ainley is not Tom Baker's opposite. He is the master of the 80s. Yeah. You know, so I, I just it's it's this interesting bit of like anachronism happening um, within the show for me. So like he rules. It would be uh, yeah. like um, John Sims master going up against um, Colin Baker. They're, they're... Even more directly, it would be like John Sim going up against Christopher Eccleston. Like, yes. I don't think yes. it would oh, work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that would like, not Eccleston work. Eccleston would just be like, you're Aww. dumb. Get away from me. Um, and yeah. it would be infinitely more entertaining. I'll admit he went a little too big in some other ones, but I really like him in this one because when he teams up with Tom Baker, you can tell that is just his fantasy. Like, it's like, yes, it's happening. (laughs) You know, I'm, you know, Rob Velvet is with the best. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now fully erect. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
But it's, you know, Although, it's funny. It was funny that you mentioned that um, how it basically was a, a mousetrap to like set up making Tom Baker leave. Kind of made me think of like you know the last season of William Hartnell and how mm. you know the the um, everyone kind of changed to set up Hartnell leaving. I, I think it's almost yeah. like a modus operandi for how doctors leave the show. <laughs> Although I think in that one, they had to build up the other characters more because he was getting more frail. So they needed the, the rest of the cast to pick yeah, up the that, slack. That was, yeah, that had, was yeah. more out of a necessity for the production rather than we're trying to phase Hartnell out. It just creates this unfortunate, um, uh, th- this kind of blend. And this is something else that, um, that Ellie Sandifer writes about um, is, is that idea of because Hartner was less involved in in the production of the show because of his health issues. It creates this this idea that they're kind of gradienting him out to prepare for Troughton, whereas that wasn't really what was happening. It's just, you know, Hartnell was either too sick to say some of the lines or he was too sick to come in at all, so they would have to give his dialogue to different characters. It's, it's telling that the last surviving episode from the Hartnell era we have is part three of the 10th planet and Hartnell doesn't appear in it at all. Like there's no better um, kind of microcosm of Hartnell's final year in the show. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Although, I mean, here it was sort of, they weren't dealing with, with physical issues, but they were dealing with uh, a doctor who had started to mentally check out, you know? Yeah. And I mean, by Meglos, he was Baker got the sickest he'd ever been. Oh, so this really? season was like a real trial for him too. Uh, they talk oh, about in Megalos, right. like they had to curl his hair. His yeah, hair had gone like pub. straight because he was sick. Oh um, yeah, was, was so it unhealthy? Was it because of something that happened in Leisure Hive, or I, I forget? I'm half no, remembering this. I think he just this. got some kind of illness. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, because hmm. I remember in Leisure Hive, there's that moment where he's old and he doesn't have a lot of hair. And I think that was just because I think some of his hair fell out, although I, I could be wrong here. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I still think this was a really good send off for Tom Baker, though. You know, it uh, it was weird. It had a great sci fi concept. Um, and they gave him a very comfortable fake bed of grass to lie in for the regeneration. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> After knocking off the wire. Oh, yeah. That reminds me. Are we to believe the whole universe heard the masters recorded on a Walkman ultimatum? I mean, I, God, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know that that's it just raises so many questions. Like, you know, what happened to all those societies that like heard this message and then like heard nothing? And it's like, were their whole planetary systems getting ready to surrender and just we never heard back? <laughs> I, I can believe that. <laughs> See, like, like whole like societies just sitting there saying, I guess we're I guess it's uh, done. I guess we had a good run. Uh, yeah. So they just independently yeah. believe that they are ruled by the master. And it's like, you know, you travel to their society 50 years later and be like, yeah, we have this uh, boss we never see, but uh, hail the master and uh, welcome to Death Planet. Well, they, they have, a, they have a, a master pope who is, you know, who we are to believe is constant communication with the master. <laughs> and whatever he says goes. Oh, God, guys, we've, we've got a season two serial right there. Yeah, I was just thinking that's great material for a next yeah. episode. <laughs> it sounds like the perfect big finish adventure, the the sequel of like the master cargo cult planet. <laughs> he said he was going to destroy the universe and he didn't. 
Michael, could you write that down, so, please? That proves uh, already done. is correct. Come on. <laughs> if it pops yeah. up in Game of Rathalon, we are, of course, not legally obligated to credit any of you people. Copyright. Copyright. TMTM. Uh, trademark. Not <laughs> legally, although I think ethically you're, you're obligated to give us a little shout out, you know, just, just for the heck of it. Ethics, yeah. you say. Ethics. Oh, now we're just playing on ethics. <laughs> well, I try. I try. I will also tease, and Ben will be mad at me, that at some point in the game of Rassilon, he and I have a take on the Watchers. That yes, will... yes, we do. Oh, cool. Oh, it's in the game of Rassilon. Do you want to give us a preview? Uh, it's going to be next season, so no. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're already saying too much with Dan here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I... Not even like a, a bad wolf type uh, foreshadowing. No comment, no comment. No comment, no comment. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, uh, this has been Pulled to Open, a Doctor Who podcast. We've been covering Legopolis. It's the first we're trying out this new feature of everybody's first, you know, gateway drug who. This was Michael Nixon's first Doctor Who. We might do it in future. Uh, just quickly go around. What was everybody's first Doctor Who? The Mind Robber. Ooh, oh, I love the Mind Robber. Wow. I was... I was, I think, four years old, and it was being rerun on uh, BBC Two as part of a, a Doctor Who. Not it might actually have been Scott. I can't. Remember. Someone was doing a Doctor Who reruns, and my fir- my earliest memory of watching Doctor Who is that scene where Jamie's been turned into a cardboard cutout with his face blanked off, oh, and yes. the Doctor's to rebuild it and gets it wrong, and Jamie's played for a different actor, played by a different actor for an episode, and that yeah. terrified me as a child. That that, that fear. I still kind of get an echo of that whenever I watch The Mind Robber, even though as an adult now I acknowledge it's very silly. Well, they found the perfect actor. That actor looked like someone whose face had been put together wrong, you know? Like he, his nose did not match his eyes. I will tell him you said that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, well. <laughs> What's he going to do? He's old. You look uh, like <laughs> Fraser Hines was put in a blender. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yes. Uh, my, uh, so Michael was Legopolis. Dan, how about you? 96 TV movie. Oh, that's right. Oh, we've already done that, but heck, I'll do it again. I mean, you know, I'll always come yeah. back from but it. But then, again. yeah, but then, uh, then Rose, and then you know, everything new. Who afterward? Yeah, uh, Tyler. I think I think we've done this before, but just remind me. What was your first one? <laughs> the third Doctor, the Green Death. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yeah. yeah we'll have to do that. For me, yeah. it was the Android Invasion, which I know most people have forgotten. It's one of Terry Nation's few non-Dalek stories, but. Uh, I, I'm sure it's just because it's the one I fell in love with, but man, I, I love that episode to death. I think I think the Crawls are a very underrated villain. I think you're right. They should be reinvestigated. Yeah. What's great about them is they're not megalomaniacal. They're not like want to conquer the universe. They're just sneaky. They're just sneaky, you know, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so until next time, signing off for uh, Pulled Open, a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Check out our other podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all your other podcast apps. And check out our site, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for our articles, other shows, and way more. You can stay updated from our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So come and join the gathering. Have a great week, and GGG. 